0: Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. Some of you have been set apart and sanctified as a mom. Some of you have been set apart as a dad or a grandparent. Some of you have been set apart as a boss or as a doctor. Some of you have been set aside as, and set apart as a police officer or a firefighter. God has you where you're at for a reason and a purpose but here's the problem we live in a very sin sick world so where we've been set apart gets really hard and it gets really difficult and you know what as well as i do when things get hard and difficult the temptation to become a murmur and a complainer just seems to show up
1: this is amazing messing delighted to be with you and welcome once again to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in just a moment. In chapter 10 of John's Gospel, we run across a group of people that refuse to believe in Jesus. They could have believed if they wanted to, but chose not to. And you know, there are many that fit that description in our day too. Perhaps you know a few. Let's see what we can learn from this as we hand things over now to Pastor Ed.
0: John's Gospel, chapter 10, We are going to finish the chapter today after many weeks of taking our time, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us the various insights of following Jesus. Really, it began this section back in chapter 9. In chapter 9, you'll recall, Jesus met a young man that was blind from birth. And it was in his interaction that Jesus healed him. And you would think, I would think, that if I grew up with with a friend or I knew someone that was born blind, and he was blind from birth, that on that day that he received his sight, I would think that the number one emotion that I would have would be happiness. I'd be happy for him. I'd be excited for him. And many were. But unfortunately, the religious rulers of the day weren't so happy. Because in their eyes, Jesus, he crossed the line. Because you'll recall that he healed him on the Sabbath. Now, there's no prohibition in the scriptures of healing on the Sabbath. It was a man-made religious structure. They, they developed a system whereby they would say, you cannot, in, in the realm of not working, that means you can't even help somebody on the Sabbath. And God in human flesh would have none of that. He did not yield to the perversion that men brought to the truth of his heart. And it was God's heart to heal this man whatever day, whatever time it might be. But in this healing, it revealed that Jesus was surrounded by a group of people that refused to believe. They had all the evidence that they needed. They had the words of Jesus, the evidence of the acts of Jesus, and they refused to believe. So today I titled our message, You Can Believe If You Want To. You can believe if you want to. Now, the opposite is also true, so it could be a subtitle of our message today, and that is, if you don't want to believe, you won't. And today we see a group of people... In the beginning stages of these ending verses, that refused to believe, even though they had all the evidence that they needed. And I'm sure you have people like that in your life, where you share and you share and you share and it's always another question and it's always another argument and it's always, well, I'll believe it when I see it and on and on it goes and you love them and you share with them and you're patient with them and for that I commend you. We just don't write people off because they're not where we're at yet. We patiently love them. That's one of the things we learn with Jesus. But it can be frustrating, can't it? It can be frustrating. Because I'm sure you've also learned over the years that someone coming to you with a question isn't always looking for an answer. Like not everybody that asks you Bible questions is actually looking for an answer. Many times they're asking the questions in order to pick a fight with you. I hope you don't take the bait. But on occasion, we do, don't we? We're just like, oh man, I got trapped by the question. But there are those that ask questions that want answers. But so many others ask questions where they don't really want an answer at all. Sometimes it's to pick a fight. Sometimes it's to start an argument. Sometimes it's to embarrass you with the people that are watching. Other times people are asking questions because they're trying to feel you out to see what side you're on. Other times people ask questions and start a dialogue because they want to see if you're open to some gossip. Or, better yet, they're trying to feel you out to see what kind of gossip you might share or what kind of information you might share so they can run off and gossip. I mean, not everyone asking questions have real, pure motives. I think at the end, though, if someone is really not asking a question for an answer, a real answer, it just comes out very insincere. It just comes out very obviously that they are insincere and not truly wanting to hear from the Lord. That's what's happening surrounding Jesus right now. Those that are with him, they're asking him questions, they're drilling him, they're, they're pressing in on him, but really not wanting to, they really don't want the truth. They could believe if they wanted to, but because they don't want to believe, they refuse. And so pick up, let's pick up with me, or would you, in chapter 10, just by way of review in verse 22. A few months after chapter 9, we come to the winter time where the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah is taking place in Jerusalem. It's winter time. It says Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him. And remember, if you haven't already, circle the word surrounded because from the original Greek word, it has the idea of aggressively surrounding him. This isn't just coming around him for information, they're aggressively surrounding him. And they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered and said to them, I told you and you do not believe. And then he went on to talk about my sheep, hear my voice. And then he just said it very plainly in verse 30, didn't he? I and my father are one. That cleared up all of their questions right there. And the sum of our Bible study last time was looking at a few things, not everything, but a few things that Jesus was saying when he said, I and the Father are one. He was declaring himself to be God, to be Messiah, the Savior sent into the world. There is no question whatsoever. What was their response? They asked the question. They got an answer. You would think all is well. They'll bow down, begin to worship him as king. But that's not what happened. Verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, many good works I've shown you from my father. Which of those works do you stone me? Now here's the proof that Jesus answered their question. And here's the proof that they weren't really looking for an answer. They were picking a fight. Because it says the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. They understood fully. And to that, Jesus responds. We'll pick up now where we left off, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? Now, if you don't have a reference there in your study Bible or in your Bible, you can just jot it right next to it. Jesus is quoting Psalm 82. Jesus is quoting Psalm 82. And in Psalm 82, it was a warning of a psalm to the judges of the day. And... They were being called gods, little g, because of their place of authority. Not, because, not as a false god, but they were being warned in order to use their position wisely in overseeing the people. And so God, in the Bible, calls a group of people gods. And he says in verse 35 now, If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture can't be broken, amen to that, heaven and earth will pass away. But Jesus said his words will by no mean pass, my means pass away. Like, Scripture cannot be broken. You know what that means? That means the promises of God will be fulfilled. You can hold on to them. They won't be broken. God won't become unfaithful to you. He won't take a Scripture and say, oh, that doesn't apply. No, God's Word cannot be broken. Now he says in verse 36, Do you say of him, like, if he called them gods to whom the Word of God came, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, speaking of himself, You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. So Jesus responds to them and I believe he does it very lovingly and yet at the same time very powerfully because the most powerful words that will ever leave your mouth and mine are when we are speaking forth the word of God, sharing a scripture, quoting a song. Those are very powerful words. They're more powerful than our interpretation of them, more powerful than our our opinion of them. The word of God itself is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide and get into the heart of a man and get into the heart of a woman, break through the bondages and the walls of the mind much faster than you and I in our logic and reason could ever do. So what Jesus is doing is very graciously, I mean, again, at what point? You have to ask yourself, and, and ask yourself really honestly, you know, at what point would you have just written these guys off? I mean, would it be when they took up stones to kill you? And you're just thinking, I don't think they want a relationship with me, you know? <laughs> I mean, somewhere along the way, just be real. You're like, I don't know. Like, you really don't want a relationship with me. And yet Jesus doesn't give up on them. And sometimes you may not be able to, to have a conversation with the people that might want to stone you or treat you in an evil way or hurt you or talk about you, but you can pray for them. You don't give up on them. You can take them to the throne room of grace, asking for help in time of need. In this case, Jesus was able in the power of being God in human flesh to be able to still talk to them and still avoid being stoned. And he does by quoting the scriptures and revealing a big issue in their life. And he does it very tactfully. You see, what Jesus is revealing is although they present themselves as very religious and although they present themselves as someone to be trusted and someone that knows the scriptures and they're very righteous and we're going to, you know, stand for righteousness, although they appear, and I'm certain we all know people that have the appearance, oh, they're so righteous and they're making righteous decisions, what Jesus is revealing is that they're very prideful and separated from God, that the issue in their life Their biggest problem is their pride. That's showing up in their lives as them appearing to know everything about the situation. That's very prideful. Do you know, do you have a know-it-all in your life that just, man, can you think of someone that just always has to have the last word, always has to go walk away, making sure that they're the ones that are always right? I mean, you have a person in your life that you will probably never hear from you. You know what? They'll never hear from them. You were right and I was wrong. That's who you are dealing with right here. They're just prideful. Just like the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Now, You're kind of thinking and maybe even smiling. I see a few smiles, maybe a few chuckles. Oh yeah, Ed, I know a person like that. I've met a few people like that. I'm dealing with some right now. Well, what about this? What if I ask the question and people think you are that person? Oh, it could never be me, Ed. I know, you're always right. I get it, I get it. I know, I know, I get it. But lest we think someone else, I believe the Lord would have a word for us. Because certainly We've been known like that from time to time. The Bible speaks toward that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let me just read it to you for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. So we all have knowledge. You know, we have, he, he's speaking about knowing about f- knowledge of false worship, but this is a general statement as well. We all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. You know, another way of thinking of that is the more knowledge we get, the bigger head we can grow. Just filled with knowledge and just thinking we know more than we really do. But the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. So love always trumps knowledge. Every day, all day, love trumps knowledge. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, verse 2 says of 1 Corinthians 8. Now again, let's just ask ourselves, uh, does anybody think they know anything here? Anybody? Yes? No? Talk to me. Yes? I mean, something. You know something. I mean, if you think, I know, I know something. Okay, so this is all for us, every single one of us. Because I think we'd all say, yeah, I know something. Well, here's what the Bible says. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. It just brings us, puts us back to a place of dependence upon God. It's not that we don't know anything. I'm sure we gather information and, you know, we know more about the Bible than we did when we were new believers. We, we know no more about our job. We know more about, re- I mean, we gather knowledge and we grow in knowledge over, over time for sure. But we don't rely upon that knowledge. We don't lean upon that knowledge. We're not in a place where, you know, I know everything. No, man, we know nothing yet as we ought to know. So vital too when you're opening up the Bible to bring some counseling and discipleship into someone's life. So that they come to you for help and, and they're starting to share their story. And as you're listening to their story, you stop listening and you start thinking, well, I know all about that. I know exactly what I'm going to tell them. And, you know, I experienced that too. So you say something, like, I know exactly how you feel, whatever that might be. No, no, no. Stop. Listen. And then while you're listening, just say a prayer like Nehemiah did. It says, just say a silent prayer. Lord, give me understanding because I don't really know what I'm dealing with here. I think I know, but I admit to you that I know nothing As yet I ought to know. So God, just show me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And what does he promise? To direct your paths. So here Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of the men and women that, primarily men, that think that they know it all, but they really don't. And it's not just a, we can't just stand and go, yeah, I see that, and I know people like that. But rather, we need to let the Lord speak to us so that we don't become people like that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So he quotes Psalm 82. And as he quotes Psalm 82, he says, You guys, you don't even understand the scriptures. You you don't even understand. You, You aren't even hearing me. You're not hearing God. And then he says in verse 36 something really cool. He says, Do you say of him whom the Father, mark this, sanctified and sent into the world? Jesus was sanctified and sent into the world so that you and I might have our sins forgiven through his life, death, and resurrection. He was sanctified in sin. Remember last time we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6? And we learned that in the beginning there it says, For unto us a baby is born. You know, unto us we're given this baby. A son is born. A baby. And that's earth's perspective, isn't it? The Savior came as a little baby. And we learn how, how clever and smart our God is that would allow the Savior to come into, into the world as a very non-offensive baby. You know, that baby grew up and he died on a Roman cross, but he, he's not offensive. So from earth's perspective, you know, a son was born, a baby was born, and yet from heaven's perspective, a son is given. A son is given. Now Jesus says that differently. He says the Son was sanctified and sent into the world. A Sanctified and sent. That word sanctified is very simple. It means to be set apart. Set apart. Often we'll use the idea of our dishes in our kitchen as a reminder of what's set apart. You know, growing up, for me, my mom, we basically ate plastic cups, paper plates. That's what we ate. We ate paper plates, and it was good for me because I did the dishes. So you know, in the day, I know a lot of kids are belly aching about doing the dishes today. Listen, you got it easy, man. How hard it is to push a button? Come on, I had to wash the dishes. We had to have the water in this sink, wash them. This sink, rinse them. Then I had to—we couldn't just put them out. I had to dry them. Then I had to put them away. It was—I had a hard life. Believe me. (laughs) So you guys with dishwashers, don't be—you kids—stop belly aching. You got it made. So when my mom basically my parents worked, so we didn't, so it's just mostly paper plates. That's what we ate on. Threw them away. We were done. But when guests came over. My mom had a special set of, we didn't eat on paper plates when the guests came over. My mom had a special set of dishes. That's what she used. If it was Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner, we had a special. And you could say from this Greek word that those dishes were set apart for a special use. We didn't use them every day. Mom didn't want them broken or chipped. We only used them with guests. In my closet as a kid, I had sanctified clothes in the corner. (laughs) They were called church clothes. I had church clothes. We went to church till I was about the sixth grade. And those clothes were for one reason and one reason only. I couldn't wear them to school. I couldn't wear them to play. They were for church. They were church clothes. They were right there in the corner. And I often found out the hard way that those were sanctified clothes, man. You, like I would play, you know, they weren't designed. They were designed for one thing. You put them on and you sit down and you just stay there. That was, can't do anything. Because after church, we'd go outside and play, and I'd get, i get you know, they weren't, uh, those pants weren't for grass stains. I learned that. That was, you know, them, I'd get grounded, but my mom never grounded me from doing the dishes. She should have. Now that I think about it, I'm like, I feel a little ripped off, man. If you're going to ground me, go all the way. <laughs> Put me in there. <laughs> Sanctify. Jesus was set apart for a very specific purpose. Well, he didn't come by accident. He came on purpose, and he was sent. He left his earthly home and came in the form of a human being. Remember, he, didn't, he wasn't equal with us in the sense that, that he absolutely went through everything that we did. Instead, he was not identical to us. He was identified with us because he avoided something that none of us could avoid. <laughs> he was able to live life in a human body without sin. Can you imagine? That's the promise of heaven in our new bodies, sinlessly living out eternity. It's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. It's the same words that describes you and me in our relationship with the Lord. You too are set apart for the work of God. You too are consecrated. Another Bible word, same meaning. Consecrated for a specific work of God. Some of you have been set apart and sanctified as a mom. Some of you have been set apart as a dad or a grandparent. Some of you have been set apart as a boss or as a doctor. Some of you have been set aside as and set apart as a police officer or a firefighter. Some of you have been set apart to work on the phones or in a cubicle. Some of you have been set apart to, to run numbers and, and do the paperwork and all the... You have been set apart. God has you where you're at for a reason and a purpose. But here's the problem. We live in a very sin-sick world. So where we've been set apart... It gets really hard, and it gets really difficult. And you know what, as well as I do, when things get hard and difficult, the temptation to become a murmur and a complainer just seems to show up. You're just like, man, I hate my job, and I hate this season of my life, and it's really hard, Ed. I hate being a single mom, and I hate being a single dad, and, and I hate driving, and, I, and, and you begin to think, man, the very place that God has set you apart for has now become an issue that you don't embrace by the will of God. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened
1: into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in John's Gospel. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, as you were encouraging our listeners to embrace what they've been set apart by the Lord to do, I was just thinking of our upcoming Refresh Conference. Would you talk about that for a minute or two and tell our listeners how they could be a part of it?
0: Yes, Larry, we are very excited about this year's Refresh Conference coming up in October. Registration is live right now, but I don't want the word conference to scare you away. This This is not a conference in the traditional sense that we're going to come, sit, Bible study, break, Bible study, break, Bible study, break. But rather, it's a conference that's n- really not a conference in the sense that we're gathering together together. Uh, servants, ministers, children, children's ministry, anyone that's serving in the church from the first day, I was talking to someone recently, they're starting to serve in the children's ministry with their son day one, from there all the way to pastors, leaders, elders, uh, spouses. Um, there's even limited uh, childcare, and it's not just childcare like we're watching your kids, but discipleship for your kiddos during this time as well. And it, it is a time of Bible study for sure. That's what we do. We're going to encourage you. We're going to have great worship, lots of guests coming in. So go to our website, calvaryco.church slash refresh. Calvaryco, that's for Colorado, church slash refresh. And that'll give you all the information you need to know. Uh, we're bringing in special speakers, special music, for us here in Colorado, it's a big deal to have the in and out food truck here. Uh, we've been praying for years. Uh, I moved from California to Colorado to plant the church, and we've always wanted in and out here. Well, in and out burgers are here now, and the truck will be here for the conference and all kinds of neat things. We added even extra, an extra day this year um, because we've got some special surprises that we want. We want you to be refreshed. That's, the, that's it. That is the goal. We've been doing this for many, many years. Every year is unique. Every year is encouraging. And this year is going to be the best of the best.
1: You can register for and get more information about the Refresh Conference at calvaryco.church. We hope to see you October 6th through the 8th. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Erwin Lutzer's excellent book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, when your decision to change is not enough. This is a must-read for anyone who struggles with getting rid of a nasty habit. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. Ed Taylor is the pastor of a church nearby, many of you, Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. For our service times and directions, visit us on the web at calvaryco.church. We hope to see you sometime soon. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.